0: for that beautiful song welcome to those of you who are joining us on live stream this morning for our easter service we are in isaiah 53 the last three verses of this chapter we've been studying this chapter over a four-week period and we come to the close of it which mentions the resurrection of jesus christ jesus christ died on the cross two thousand years ago and that's a fact As a matter of fact, it's a fact that we cannot change. You know, someone may say, well, I just can't believe in a dead Savior. And I say, I agree with you 100%. I can't believe in a dead Savior either. But our Savior, Jesus Christ, is alive. He rose from the dead and is ascended to the right hand of the Father. People may deny it. They may attack it. They may rewrite it. Uh, but you can't do away with it. It's a fact, and we can't change it. You know, the message of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, is a message of redemption. It's a message of a price that was paid for us by what Jesus Christ did so that we might have eternal life rather than eternal punishment and separation from God. If you remember and consider the biblical story, God created the world. And he also created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And he gave them a responsibility. But Adam and Eve failed. They sinned in that. And that is why they became sinners and why you and I are sinners. And because of sin, death came. Not only death in this life, but death forevermore separated from God. So to remedy that, God himself became a man In the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, he became a man for us, and he lived a sinless life, became the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, if you will, that can take away the sin of the world. And so he died in our place. He died for you, and he died for me, and he paid the price, that is, redemption. He redeemed us from our sin. He rose from the dead which shows that God was satisfied with that price that was paid. He was satisfied with the Lamb of God. And so he rose from the dead, ascended back to the Father, and now salvation is provided for whoever will receive it. It's a gift. You receive it. It costs you nothing. There's nothing you can do for it. That is the message of redemption. And that really is what Isaiah 53 has been about as we've been uh, studying this chapter. Now, There are 12 verses in this chapter, and there are four stanzas, three verses each. And so we've looked at one stanza each Sunday, and we come to the last three, and that is in verses 10, 11, and 12. One thing I want you to notice in these verses is that in every verse, 10, 11, and 12, three people are pointed out or mentioned, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and then us, you or me. Let me read them again for those of you who didn't hear it a little bit ago. Verse 10 It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was put to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors, he bore the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Each verse speaks of what God did, what Jesus did, and what you and I can do. So we'll begin there. You know, many, I suppose, at a time like this, will celebrate Easter with bunnies and eggs, which refer back to an ancient mythology uh, that has taken the place of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for many years. Some do the same with Christmas, of course, with trees and presents and, and things like that, rather than the real meaning of God becoming a man at Christmas time and becoming our sacrifice at Easter time. I want you to look at these things. You have an outline in your bulletin if you can uh, follow along there, or it's on your screen if you're looking that way. And notice how I have divided these verses up. First of all, verse 10, which really is the key verse today. This is the resurrection verse in verse uh, 10, and that's why I call it resurrection and salvation. Notice these things. First of all, God's pleasure Because it says in the first part of this verse, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was, he has put him to grief. Does that sound strange to you that God put his son to to grief and it pleased the Lord that that happened? Second Corinthians 521 says, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why did it please the Lord? Why was the Lord pleased with this? Well, because he became an offering for our sin. Do you remember the Old Testament offerings? There's a sin offering. There's a burnt offering. And when that lamb was offered, the smoke of that fire went up to God and and became a a well-pleasing smelling aroma before God. And why? Because, Because of that sacrifice, sins were covered. And so when God allowed his own son to die for us, it pleased him just like those sacrifices pleased him to know that sin was covered, not just for a year for us, but forever, for eternity. So first of all, right off, we see in verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. But notice the next two points kind of go together, and I'll skip back and forth. When you, and here's where we come into the picture, When you make his soul an offering for sin, hold on to that thought for a minute. When you, at that point, when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you made his soul, his life, an offering for your sin. God, he, shall see his seed, that is the seed of Jesus Christ, and prolong his days. That is the resurrection message. He will see his seed and prolong his days. That is, God sees the life of Jesus Christ on the cross, described here also as his seed, his spirit, his everlasting life. He sees that on the cross, and he sees that if you make that soul an offering for your sin, he sees the life of Jesus Christ in you for eternity. What a wonderful thought that is. And because God sees the pleasure and he's satisfied with that, then Christ lives. His death is accepted and he is resurrected from the dead, which is what the phrase in our uh, verse means, he shall prolong his days. That's the title of my sermon this morning. You know, some people look at that phrase and wonder, does that really mean that it is the resurrection of the Lord? And I say, yes, it does. And I'm going to a couple times read just uh, a sentence or two from from great men of the past who have spoken about this. First of all is W.E. Vine, who said, Here, however, the reference is to the unending resurrection life of the Lord. H.A. Ironside, who many of you read, said, He shall prolong his days. He shall come back from the grave in resurrection life. And William Kelly, the great British author, said, Yet even in his death, God wrought so that by his resurrection from among the dead, he should have honor unexpectedly. And so we have here the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God sees his soul and he prolongs his days. Someone says, well, I can't believe in the resurrection of the dead. I just can't. Understand that. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ lived? Well, yes. Isaiah 53 says that. Do you believe that Jesus died? Yes, I believe that. Isaiah 53 says that. Do you believe that he was beaten unmercifully, that, that uh, he suffered a terrible type of death on the cross? Yes, I believe that. Isaiah 53 says that. Do you believe that, that Jesus died between two thieves, among thieves? Yes. Well, Isaiah 53 says that. Do you believe that he was buried in a rich man's tomb? Yes. Isaiah 53 says that. Well, when Isaiah 53 says also that he rose from the dead, why can't you believe that? The same prophecy that was literally fulfilled and all of those other details also mentions that his days will be prolonged. And we can be assured that Jesus Christ also rose from the dead. But don't skip over that phrase. When you make his soul an offering for your sin, then God sees his seed. Now what that means is that, again, redemption. He paid the price for you. He died so that you don't have to die, that is eternally. He died to pay the price for your sin and so that soul that died, that life that was in him, that life that he gave on the cross, if you will make that an offering for your sin, that's your lamb, that's your sin offering, your, your burnt offering. You make that a sacrifice for your sin by saying, Lord, I accept you as my savior. I give you my sin, give me that eternal life. And he does. And then it says, he will see his seed, which means that forever, God sees the life of Jesus Christ in you eternally. And the reason why you have eternal life is because then he sees that life of Jesus being the life that is in you. And just as he he raised him from the dead, he will give you eternal life just as Jesus Christ also has eternal life. what a a wonderful trade-off that is. You give him your sin, he gives you eternal life and his seed forever. Do you remember Genesis 22? That's the chapter where Abraham takes Isaac and goes up to Mount Moriah and offers a sacrifice. And it was a very hard thing for Abraham to do. All the way up that mountain, he kept saying, God himself will provide for an offering. God will provide himself uh, an offering. He gets all the way up there. The fire is ready. Isaac is laid on the wood. And Abraham is wondering whether he has to take the life of his own son. And he would have done it if that's what God wanted. But as he was about to do it, God stopped him and said, Abraham, look over there. And in a thicket caught by his horns was this lamb, this ram. And so Abraham took that lamb and sacrificed it in the place of his son. And Abraham said, now I will call the Lord uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. And so that is what our verse is talking about. Look there, there is a lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Let his soul be the sacrifice for your sin and you can go free. So Resurrection and salvation in verse 10, really the heart of this chapter and the purpose for this chapter. I hope that you uh, have done what this uh, verse has asked you to do. Well, look at verse 11 with me. I call it satisfaction and justification. And here's why. Verse 11 says, "...he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied." Who do the pronouns refer to? He, that is God the Father, shall see the travail of his soul, that is God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God shall be satisfied. The first thought is that he is satisfied with this. Isn't that a great thought? 1 Corinthians one thirty says, "...by him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption." God is satisfied. He is satisfied with the offering that took place. He was satisfied with the life that had to die, and that is Jesus dying for you. And not only that, but he is satisfied if he looks at you and sees the life of Jesus, the seed that he sees, in you forever. God's satisfied with it. I thought to myself, eternal security? (laughs) You can't get any more secure than God to be satisfied with the offering for your sin. You might say, well, you don't know me very well. I'm not sure God's so satisfied with me. That's not the point. God is satisfied with your offering, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to be satisfied with you. He only has to be satisfied with the Lord Jesus Christ forever because he sees his soul, his seed in you forever. So he, God is satisfied. Not only that, but we are justified. So in the second statement of, the, of this uh, verse, verse 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. We know that expression in the New Testament, don't we? We know what it is to be justified, just as if we've never sinned justified our our account settled with God and our sins all forgiven and everything made right with him by one man's offense death reigned by one much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by Jesus Christ and that's in Romans 5:17 so by his knowledge now I, I want you to notice a detail here in the text some translations have the word the pronoun his as a capital uh, H in that verse. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And then by his knowledge, you might have a capital H there or you might have a small h. And the, the grammatical question is, is it the knowledge that Jesus Christ has or is it the knowledge that you have of Jesus Christ? But conservative commentators will come to the same conclusion and that is it's by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you that makes you justified and so there really is here another evangelistic appeal to those who don't know Christ as Savior not only in verse 10 will you make his soul an offering for sin but now in verse 11 do you know him Do you you have the knowledge of him? Again, because people take this different way, let me quote a couple guys. J.A. Alexander, This means practical, experimental knowledge involving faith and a self-appropriation of the Messiah's righteousness. Meaning, I want to know him personally. I want that knowledge of what Jesus Christ did for me To be applied to my soul, to my sin. E. W. Hingstenberg said, This is the condition by which anyone appropriates to himself the righteousness procured by the Messiah. And so when he asks in our verse, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, if you have the knowledge of him, if you have received him as your Savior, then he has justified you, he has justified many. And so the question is, do you know him? Not only is is he the offering for your soul, do you know him as your personal savior? So he is satisfied, we are justified, and then a great statement that we've seen in this chapter many times, that he shall bear our iniquities. So at the end of the verse, for he shall bear their iniquities. He bears them, he carried them to the cross. First Peter 2 24 that quotes these this chapter who in his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins might live unto righteousness he went there to that cross and he bore the sins of the world it's not just the blood it's not just the stripes on his back it's the heavy burden that he went with to the cross of the sins of the whole world yours and mine so that you could be justified and God could be satisfied. Hebrews 9, 28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Notice that once offered, not every year like the Old Testament animals, but once to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And so he bore your sins and he bore mine on the cross. His blood then continually cleanses us from sin. His life is continually in you. I thought to myself, folks, there's no culture that can cancel this divine action. There's nothing that people can do about it. There's nothing that a society can do about it. This is true. Jesus Christ died for us, and when you make that transaction with Him, you make His soul an offering for your, for your sin. When you know Him personally, no one on this planet can do anything to cancel that transaction. You have eternal life. It's between you and God. Of course, the urgency about that is that today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You only have this life to decide. You don't die and stand before God and see the reality of it and then say, okay, now I will accept. No, we walk by faith, not by sight. And we have to believe in what God has said now and receive Him and make Him our Savior before we die in this life. So, two things are pointed out here so far, resurrection and salvation, and secondly, satisfaction and justification. But thirdly, he doesn't leave it here with a long verse in verse 12, and I call it reign and division. Verse 12 says, therefore, I, that's God, the father, will divide him, Jesus Christ, a portion with the great. Do You know what that means? Jesus Christ will reign on the earth. God will appoint him his kingdom and give him his reign on the earth. You remember that Psalm two says it this way, yet I. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, God speaking. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. One day God will say to the Son, The kingdom is yours. Return to the earth and reign for a thousand years. And he will, he'll reign for a thousand years on this earth. And, and not only that, but he will reign then forever. And God will divide him a portion with the great. That is, he will be king of kings and Lord of lords. Do you ever wonder where this earth is going? <laughs> I think a lot of people are wondering that right now. Where is this world going right now? This is where it's going. And just as sure as Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ that he would die in such a way that he died, that he was resurrected in the way that he resurrected, he also says he will reign in the way that this great book talks about. William Kelly said, It looks on to the day of the world kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ, when he will come forth before every eye as the Lord of Lord and King of kings, sharing with others the fruits of his victory. So not only will he reign, but I say secondly, we will receive the spoil did you catch that also? He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Remember that I told you in every verse there's a mention of God the Father, there's a mention of Jesus Christ the Son, and there's a reference somehow to us, and that is to you and me. If you know Him as your Savior, if you have that knowledge of Him, then you will be in that kingdom of God with Jesus Christ. If you know your prophecy, which we don't have time to go into today, but we will go to heaven to be married to the lamb and we will return with him to the earth and we will be the bride of the lamb. We will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And so everything that is his on the earth, he will divide and share with us. (laughs) That's a great thing when you think about it. Psalm 67 verse 6 says, then shall the earth yield her increase. Every time I think of this psalm, the earth shall yield her increase. I could plant a garden and make it grow in the kingdom of God. Even I could, you know, maybe the dandelions wouldn't grow in my yard. Who knows? The earth shall yield her increase and God, even our God shall bless us. God shall bless us and all ends of the earth shall fear him. Imagine everyone on this earth fearing God the way that they should. Again, W.E. Vine said we are made sharers in his legal or regal authority when his kingdom is established. And so that will be shared with us. We're looking forward to that time. We're looking forward to that time of living on this earth in resurrected and glorified bodies with the Lord Jesus Christ when he is given the portion of the great and divides the spoil with us but there's one more thing then in verse 12 that i want you to notice and that is god will be sovereign at least that's what i call it and i want you to notice two words before that phrase starts the first one is therefore the first word of the verse therefore that is because of everything that has been said up to this point, not only in our two verses, but the whole chapter. Therefore, Jesus Christ will reign because He's the great sacrifice, because He's the Lamb of God, because He is accepted before God, because His life will live forever. Therefore, He will reign. And then, in the middle of the verse... That will happen because, and you see the word because, and then four things follow that word because. Notice, because he poured out his soul unto death. We've looked at that. Because he is numbered with the transgressors. He died with those thieves. Number three, he bore the sin of many, which our verse has just spoken of. And then he made intercession for the transgressors. Are you a transgressor today? Are you a sinner before the Lord and don't know Him as Savior? He made intercession for you before the Father. You can come to the God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now because of all of these things, I think the whole chapter is ending by saying God's plan is perfect. Because of what He planned. Because of what Jesus Christ did. Because everything that we have said is right here accomplished by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, God is sovereign. He's satisfied. He's justified. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. What a great thought that is. And folks, then this chapter, Isaiah 53, if you'll think back to one of our first messages, this becomes the millennial song. Remember, that means when the, when the Jews themselves are restored in their land and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, in that kingdom of God, they will begin to sing Isaiah 53. They will sing, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. They're going to say that in that past tense. We now believe it. We now understand it. And then in the present tense, they say, and with his stripes, we are healed. And because of that, the Lord Jesus Christ reigns and God is sovereign. So let me ask you simply this as we close. Have you made his soul an offering for your sin, his death, his burial, his resurrection? his eternal soul, the life that he gave so that you might have eternal life? Have you applied that to yourself? When you bring your sins to him and confess them before him and ask him to be your savior, the New Testament says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise, and yet it's an explanation of what a person has to do to be saved. Do you know him? That is in this, our verses too. Do you know him as your savior? Do you know him as a personal savior? Do you know that your sins are washed away? If that's so, folks, God will see his seed in you eternally and you will be saved forever and ever. That's a great way that this chapter ends, a great invitation it gives to us. I hope that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. I want you to stand now with me, if you will, as we stand, and then we go to the Lord in prayer, and we ask his blessing on what we'll sing in just a moment. Let's pray together. Now, Father, thank you for this great passage that we have, that we have studied, this chapter, Isaiah 53. Thank you for the prophecies that it made of the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this great book of Isaiah that speaks so much of his return and glory and his reigning on the earth. Thank you, Father, for these great promises. But Father, we would not pass over the invitation that you have given to all human beings to make his soul an offering for their sin. I pray, Father, that someone hearing this voice or a message like this today on resurrection would realize what he or she has to do to have eternal life. And I know, Father, because you promised that if they'll call on you, they will be saved. May we know you in that real and personal way. So, Father, bless then as we sing, as we think about these things, as your Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. I pray that you would apply them to us in the way that we need. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Gordon's going to come and lead us in the song. And of course, our invitation is open as we sing and even after the service is ended. So if you need to respond to this in any way, you respond the way the Lord is leading you to as Gordon comes.